that we're going to be taking a look at a man in the Old Testament who did not let his body stop him from accomplishing the thing that God wanted him to do. Most times we think of someone like that, we think of Abraham, but this is not Abraham. This is someone who was close to 100 years old, but he wasn't quite there yet. But he looked at his body, and though most people would say he's too old to do what he was going to do, he said, no, we can do it. And he had the faith and confidence in his God to accomplish this. Last week we were looking at what veils do you wear. That sometimes we, just as Moses put on a veil, Moses put on a veil that the people would not see that the glory was fading in his life. That after, on his face, I'm sorry, that after he left, left the presence of God, that glow would be there, but then it would begin to fade away, and he didn't want the people to see that. So he put a veil on. But then Paul related to how the people in the land of Israel, the Israelites would have a veil over their heart when they saw the law of Moses. And how we need to get, get past that and get by those, those particular things. So, we ask the question, what veils are you wearing? And how you can minister to those that you see they have a veil over their life. And how you can help those, uh, those people with that. If you'll turn over to the book of Joshua, we're going to be over in Joshua chapter 14. We're going to be looking at a number of different verses here. Um, in the chapters 14, 15, and 16, won't we go through the whole thing, but we're going to go through much of it. It says, these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar, the priest Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and half a tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. Thank you. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now in Kadesh Barnea, the word of the Lord came to Moses, and he set out to do that. And here Caleb is reminding Joshua, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me. Let's go back over to Numbers chapter 13. Let's see the first word that was spoken. Numbers 13 verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Jump on down to verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage 
and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first fruits. Now we understand from this that when God gives you a word, when God speaks to you about your life, when he tells you this is what you are to do, this is what he's empowering you to do, there is no problem with going and checking out the word. There was no problem with, with finding out what is involved in accomplishing this thing. Don't ever feel troubled by the uh, desire you might have on the inside to go check something out. If God tells you to go buy a thing, then you probably want to go check out that thing. That's, that's all fine to do. doesn't mean that you're questioning whether God spoke to you or whether you're questioning that God wants you to do it. It just means that you go and you, you check the thing out. He's given them this land. He says, I want you to go up there and I want you to see it firsthand. I want you to have firsthand knowledge that you can come on back and say, we saw these cities, we saw these things, and this is what's going on. Sometimes Christians feel like they can't go to a doctor. They had something that was wrong with them and, and uh, they go to God and maybe God even tells them, this is what's going on. That still doesn't mean you can't go to the doctor and get it checked out. You just got to be careful of the doctor interpreting what's going on. He may look at the things that are going on and give you a different end result than God gives you. That's fine. You don't have to convince the doctor that what God told you was right. You can just go to the doctor and, and see what's, what's going on. What's happening with this thing? Uh, I've had it done a number of different times. I've, I've gone to the doctor. I had the word from God what was going on. And uh, uh, sometimes I would tell them, this is what's going on. And sometimes uh, they, they wouldn't believe me. <laughs> they had no reason to believe me. They know I'm not in the medical profession. And they're going to do their test. I remember one time telling them specifically, well, we have to test that out. We can't just take your word for it. I said, I understand that. Go ahead. They checked it out, found out I was right. And then they went ahead and did the, the, did the things that needed to be done. There's, there's no problem with going to the doctor and getting some things checked out. If you've got some pain in an area and God says it's this, and he tells you a way that you can, you can check that thing out, and if the way involves medical procedure at all, you go right on ahead and, and go to the doctor. Just don't let them set the interpretation for you. Just go there and hear what they had to say. And don't feel like you've got to convince them. You don't got to convince them that what the Word of God said is right. You don't care whether they believe it or not. All that matters is that you believe it. Um, one, one minister I know, he, uh, he had something going on in, in his body, and God told him, you have a tumor. Told him that. You have a tumor. He said, it's benign, they'll operate, and they'll take it all out. So he went to the doctor, and he said, I have a tumor. You do. <laughs> yeah, I do. And so I said, you'll find out that when you uh, do, do whatever they were going to do, I don't know if they do x-rays or what they do on the tumors, but whatever you're going to do, uh, when you do that, you'll find out it's benign, you'll uh, do the operation, and you'll get it all. And that's exactly what happened. Now see, he had that from God. Going to the doctor didn't didn't matter. The doctor could come and say, "Well, I'm not quite sure that you have the right interpret." None of that came up. If it did, he just didn't accept it. So just because you go and you check out the vision doesn't mean that you have to doubt it. You're just checking it out to see what you have to do and what we have to uh, to accomplish to get that done. You got to set yourself on a path to do what God told you to do. If God sets you on a path to change your diet, how many of y'all know you need to go out to the grocery store and see if they have the things that you want? 
or the things that God's telling you that you need to get. Because some grocery stores may not carry that stuff. Whatever the stuff is that he's telling you to get. He may be telling you to, to buy certain, certain types of food or certain, certain things that you need to get and you go over to the giant and you see the giant doesn't have it. So you'd ask God for wisdom. God, where can I go? If God told you to get it, God knows that you can. God will never tell you to go do something that it is impossible for you to do where you are. If he said you need to get this, this type of stuff for, the, for your diet, whatever it is that you're eating, that um, you know, some people, God has told them, I want you to, to get away from gluten. They may, he, he may tell you that in your spirit. Your body's not handling it that well right now. I had somebody one time, they said, well, maybe gluten's your problem, so I actually stripped gluten from my, my diet. That's tough for a guy who likes pasta and bread. I mean, that's a staple of my diet, pasta and bread. I get most of my calories from pasta and bread somewhere. And um, that's pretty tough to... I eliminated it. I said, all right. Now, I didn't get that from God. I got it from them. So, you know, I only put it to such a high level. <laughs> it, it was there. We'll test this thing out. But if I had it from God, I would have tested it out a whole lot longer. So I think I stuck with it for about two months. And I said, this isn't helping at all. And so I just, I just gave it up. Went back to gluten, noticed no change at all. Now, the guy I run with, uh, John, he, uh, he has an issue with gluten. And he learned uh, a long time, I'm not sure if God told him in the spirit or, or what it is. He's a, he's a spiritually sensitive man as, as well. It's nice to have a running buddy who is uh, sensitive to the things of the spirit and believes in faith and, and so forth. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's nice having the uh, same kind of mindset when we uh, talk about these things. So he, but he eliminated from him. So when I shared with him, he says, well, I'm going to try this out. I didn't tell, ever tell him. I said, I heard it from God. I just said, I'm going to try this out. And so he was telling me all the stuff that he used that was gluten-free that tasted good. Now, I don't care what anybody says. It don't taste as good as the real stuff. But he had some stuff that was, that was good. He even had some cookies that uh, were just as good as non, our gluten ones. I was surprised at those. Uh, but then they stopped making them. <laughs> so, I was telling some people, oh, you need gluten-free diet? I got some great cookies for you. And I, I called John. John, what, is those, what are those cookies? Oh, they stopped making them. They don't, they don't do them anymore. So, oh, man, they, were, they really had that down. But uh, they, they didn't anymore. So, you know, you, you can still check some of these things out. Sometimes we can get wisdom from other places, and that can help us out. But I went back on to just eating, you know, pizza and bread and pasta and just normal pasta, not that uh, gluten-free stuff. That stuff is horrible. I don't know how people can eat that gluten-free pasta. Oh, I tried that out. Man, that was, that was terrible. I'd cut pasta completely out of my diet if I had to eat gluten-free pasta. Now, if you have gluten-free pasta and you like it, I'm good. I did not. <laughs> we did not get along. We just cut that whole thing out, and I stayed away from it. Didn't help one bit, one back on gluten. Still didn't change anything. But then I, later on, I got wisdom of God what to do, and I went ahead and did that and, and, and followed on it. And, uh, and you stay with it. You see, when you get wisdom from God on what to do on a thing, you don't ever give up. If you're going to try out what God says, then you have a time limit. If you know that God said it, you should stay with it. And you, you'll die doing it. That's the mentality you have to have. I'll, I'll stay with this until I die. There's no time limit on it. I'm just going to keep on, keep on going on keep on going this way because this is what God said to do. If he said to you, you need to stay away from gluten and you know, sometimes your body, it, we have a natural body. It is, it is subject to corruption. 
There are some times that it, that it has been corrupted, maybe by some things we did that were foolish, maybe by some things we didn't do. But whatever it might be, if God tells you to do it, it may not be forever. He may just be saying, stay away from it for a little while, get your body a chance to, to adjust it, and then it'll tell you to go back. Brother Hagin used to tell us that all the time. The Spirit of God would say, don't stop drinking coffee or tea. And he said, I don't know why. I didn't ask him why. He just said, stop drinking it. And so he cut it out. I don't think he was a huge coffee drinker, but he was a big tea drinker. And so he would just cut it out. And then later on, he said some, I don't know, weeks, months later, it would come up in his spirit. You can go ahead and drink it again now. And so then he'd pick it back up and he, he'd go ahead and do that. He says, I don't know what it was. Maybe my body didn't need the caffeine. He didn't know. He didn't ask. If he knew how to hear from his spirit, if his spirit came up and said that, then he listened to it and he just went on and, and did it. But once you got the word of God, you hang on to it. You don't let it go. This is the mindset that Caleb was. This is the kind of mindset that he had. This is the kind of mindset that Joshua had. This is the kind of mindset that Moses had. Sometimes even Aaron would have that. Not always. But sometimes he would even have that. And so we know that he, he, God told them what to do. And so they went out there and they did this. They checked out exactly what God said to do. And they even brought back some of the fruit of the land. But then when they came back, the ten spies decided to interpret what they saw. But here was the problem. They interpreted what they saw with a veil. They put a veil on, and that veil prevented them from seeing what God said. They could only see where they were going, where God told them to go, but they couldn't see it through the Word of God. They had this veil on, and it just blocked out what God said. Because God has been saying all the time, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to deliver the inhabitants to you. This is what he said. Now, Joshua and Caleb, when they saw the same things, and I'm sure that the 12 of them were having conversations as they're traveling around. This bad report that they brought was probably not news to Joshua and Caleb. They probably heard this conversation. We can't do this. We can't come here and look at them. Those guys are huge. Look at these walls. They, were, they probably heard this, and they were probably the whole time in that land. You know we can. You know God said we can. Everything that Joshua and Caleb saw, they saw through the word of God that said, I have given you the land. The inhabitants are yours. You will drive them out. This is what God had said to them. And so they chose to believe that. Everything they saw, they saw through the eyes that God said he would deliver this. He would give this, this land. But the ten stopped hearing that. They heard the same things that Joshua and Caleb had heard. But they stopped listening to that and they started listening to what they saw. This is the same thing we do. Some of you have some things going on in your body that is um, uh, causing pain. They could be going on and, and causing digestive issues, headaches, uh, other kind of problems in your body. And God has a way for us to fix it. He doesn't want us to go through that whole, whole time. But he has a way for us to fix it. Now, I mentioned to the folks that were here on Wednesday, and I think I mentioned it to the worship team, I'm still trying to locate this, and I will put it up on Facebook for you once I, once I find it. But we were, uh, my wife and I, we were traveling uh, somewhere, and so we just, we put things on to listen to. And, and so um, we were listening to Brother Hagin. And we're listening to some things that he had. 
And we listened to about four or five of his messages. You know, he can go on pretty long. On the way there, and then on the way back later on, we were listening to the, the things. And one of the ones that he was, he was talking about, he, was mentioned, he mentioned the story of this one lady who had taken some of the tapes. And these were, this is a long time ago. This is before my tape days. This is not cassette tapes. You know what they had before cassette tapes? Reel to reel. Yeah, some of you all know. Reel to reel. I mean, you want to talk about inconvenient. <laughs> Putting on a reel to reel on the, uh, now see, I dealt with reel to reel, but never with tapes. When I was in high school, we would make uh, videotapes of different educational programs. Our high school was leap years ahead of just about every high school in this area. It was Upper Moreland High School. No one else had the technology in our school that we did. Now they've all caught up to it and maybe even have surpassed it. But they would be sent from all over to come to our school to see what we had set up because we had stuff set up that I think it took the next school about 10 years to get to it. We were way ahead of them. We had three videotape machines in our AV department. We had a close, we had two or three closed circuit channels. This is in the 70s. Closed circuit channels and we could send any video recording we had through the wiring in our school and have it pop up in whatever classroom we wanted. So if a teacher wanted, uh, how many remember getting the, uh, the, uh, the big projectors, movie projectors? And they'd bring the movie projector in and they'd set, and you'd all be thinking, oh, we're excited, we're getting movie projector today. It means we get the whole class, we just get to watch a movie. And, you know, it's an educational movie, we get to watch the movie. Oh, it's exciting, it's fun. Well, we, we did away with all those. And so what we did was we would just uh, record these videos and then we would send the videos over the, the airways. And they would just tune in to whatever station we would tell them. We would tell them, you know, tune in to channel 4 or channel 5 or whatever channel it was that we put it on. They'd tune it in and we'd start it up down there. And uh, it was great to be in the AV department because you got out of lunch, you got out of homeroom, you got out of study hall. Anything you wanted to do, you could go down into the AV room and just park it in there and you didn't have to be quiet. You didn't have to sit in your chair. You didn't have a teacher to answer to. You were on your own. And they were so glad that you came in because if there was videotapes to be set up, your first thing to do when you came in, you checked the video schedule. If somebody had to have a video out, you made sure it was queued up. You made sure it was ready to go and started on the time that that teacher wanted that thing started. And so that was your responsibility. Once you got done that, you're done. And you just have fun. And you now we had a dark room. We would go in the dark room and play with, uh, with that sort of, we have a hall pass, a permanent hall pass. If we were ever caught in the hall, walking around the hall, we just flashed that hall pass while I'm in, I'm in the AV department. And, you were fine. It didn't matter if you were traveling in the hall for illicit reasons. It made no difference. You had a permanent hall pass. You didn't need no teacher to sign it. And they think, think AV was for nerds. It was not. It was for the informed. <laughs> we, would, uh, we would do a TV production for news. We didn't have, have you ever been in the schools? You know, they read them over the announcements. No, we didn't do it in the 70s. We were not doing that. We didn't do it at junior high. We didn't do it at senior high. In the 70s, we had a news, newsroom, and we would have uh, some of the people, they were newscasters. And then we would have cameras, we had a special effects generator, and we would move from one camera to another, and uh, we had pre, pre-announcement stuff. We would actually record, anybody remember the gong show? Oh, yeah. 
Do you remember a certain character was on there called the Unknown Comic? Yeah, we videotaped every one of his antics that he would do on that show, and that was our pre-news videos. Can you imagine being in school and watching the unknown comic before the announcements came on? And This is what we would do. Any kind of funny stuff like that we would put on, we'd put that on the TV, and the kids loved it. And so, you know, we were not um, unpopular as AV people because we were doing some fun stuff for them. I got to run a camera, run the special effects generator. I was never on camera to be the announcer. Stayed away from that. I let other people more beautiful than me <laughs> take, take that on and, and do that sort of stuff. But all we had, we had fun. But here we had to set these up and they were real to real. We had two one inch VHS, or, uh, uh, two one inch video uh, tapes and one half inch. So we could, we could accommodate just about anything. And so, Bob, I mean, one inch, one inch thick this stuff was. And uh, they were big, and we'd have to take them out and loop them up and get them all ready to go and, and send them out. So these folks that would have the, the reel-to-reel, I wasn't around for reel-to-reel days for, um, for those when I was doing the uh, program for uh, my president at the college I was at, Dr. Robert Cook. I did his radio program for him, and so they were all on reel-to-reel. And so that's my only experience with reel-to-reel was in, in that one. But this lady, the story was this lady took the reel-to-reel of Brother Hagin's teaching, and she would set that up, and she would listen to it. And she went going through, went through all the tapes, I don't know how many tapes were in there with it, and she didn't get it. So she went through them all again, and still didn't get it, didn't understand it. So she went through it all again, and still didn't get it. And she went through it all again. And she still didn't get it. Six months she went through these tapes until finally she got it. Finally it dawned, oh, I get it now. I see it. Would you stick with something that long? If you had a tape and you did not understand it, would you keep going back over it and going back over it and going back over it? But in her spirit, I guess she, she just knew, I need to get this. There's something there. And so she kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And so she finally got this and she... Um, she put, put it to work, and just like Brother Hagin put it to work, she got healed. Just by simply hearing the word and putting it to work, and she just went from a place of being unhealed gradually into a place of being healed. And this is what Brother Hagin said when he was doing that. He said, people who are healed instantly by the gifts of the Spirit generally lose their healing faster. He said, people who get healing, receive their healing through faith on a gradual process, very seldom lose it. And then he went on and, you know, talked about why that was. And after we we were just both listening to it and uh, driving on home. And the next day, I think I was in the kitchen, we were doing something. I said to her, you know, that part Brother Hagin told about the gradual healings lasting longer for most people. And uh, that uh, a number of people, not all people, but a number of people who got healed instantly, um, that it would go away. I told her, I said, I don't ever remember Brother Hagin teaching that. Obviously he did. Because this is a recording from many, many years ago. And um, he obviously taught it, but I don't remember him teaching that. And she said, no, I don't remember it either. And... um, but it's, it's along the lines of what we've been instructing you here. 
is don't feel like just because you have something going on in your body, the only way that you can get healed is through instantaneous healing. God can do that. And God has done that. And God will continue to do that. And he works through some gifts of the Spirit that he puts in people. And you'll see that go on. But don't sell, don't sell short believing God for the victory. Because you can overcome a number of things. Brother Hagen overcame in his own life an incurable blood disease a heart condition, and a number of conditions he was never supposed to make it beyond his 16th birthday. But he did. And a number of other people who have the same type of a similar story. Now, I've shared with you some of my, my healing stories just this last one. I've had other ones in the, in the past too. I think I've shared some of those with you. Uh, probably not all of them, but at least some of them. And this one, it took a, a, a long period of time. I did go back and take a look at, at when this thing started. And when I started it with, with uh, God, it was about a year and a half of just doing what God told me to do. There was the first phase, the second phase, and then the third phase lasted almost a whole year. It was almost a whole year. And I told you the restrictions. I told you the things that I was under. And, um, and that was up until April. In April of this year, I began to feel released from that and began to gradually increase. And uh, the, the amount I'm running now, pain-free, when in fact, when I finish, I feel like I could keep on going. I don't feel a restriction at all. I am now running per run twice as far as I was running before. The restriction I had before, I hit that, and I'm only halfway done the run. And I can, I can still go out there and do more. But you see, it wouldn't have gotten that way if I didn't start. If I didn't stay with it. And so the whole process I'm going through, I, don't, I never put a timeline on it. I never said, well, I'll do this for so many months, but if I don't see improvement. Never said that. When he gave me the first stage, I stayed with it until I got in my spirit to go into the second stage. and Because I didn't know there was a second stage. Got into the second stage, I stayed with that. I didn't know there was going to be another stage. But then he told me the, the other stage, I stayed in that for a year. I even had somebody come up and ask me. He said, well, do you ever think you'll get out of that? I said, I don't know. I was prepared to stay in it for the rest of my life if I need to. That's fine. But that's what he told me to do. To do, we got past all the pain. We got past all the the uh, the, the problems of, of walking and and all this sort of stuff that he was that I was doing, and got put back on the but it got, got put back on the road for 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 doing well. But it didn't happen. Me standing there waiting for me to be able to go out there and, and do what I wanted to do without pain. It happened by me taking what God told me to do and doing it, not questioning it. Not saying, well, I've been doing this for a little while now. I ought to be able to see some improvement. Never did that. Never one time did that. I just stayed with it until down in my spirit, he said, all right, now move to this, this level. And so I moved to that level. Then getting pestered him, said, can I get off this level? Can I, can I do something more? Never pestered him. Just kept going until down in my spirit, I knew, all right, you need to go to this one. This is what you need to do. The third phase was the most clear one I ever heard of the whole thing. And then um, just felt released from it. All right, now you can now you can go and gradually. I uh, I kept building up and kept kept going. But you see, you got to start somewhere. You got to start with, with the first thing that God has told you to do. This is what these folks did. This is what Caleb and Joshua did. They took the first thing. What was the first word God spoke to them? I will give you the land. I will drive out its inhabitants. And so he, they, were, they kept thinking about this. This is what the word of God came to us. Then they had what Moses said to them. And Moses said, go into the land, spy it out. I want you to check out the cities. I want you to check out the walls. I want you to check out the people. I want you to check out the fruit. 
And so they went and they did that. And then they came on back. And then 10 spies brought a bad report. They tried to interpret what they found to the people. But you see, the enemy came to them and the enemy said, you see that wall? You cannot take that wall down. You see those chariots? You can't go up against those chariots. You have nothing to defend against the chariot. There's no way that you can do it. This is what the enemy was telling them. And they heard it. And they meditated on it. Now those same words were coming to Caleb and Joshua. It came to all the spies who were out there. But they fought it off. They said, no, my God said, I will do this. And so when you have a word from God, whether you took it from your Bible or whether you took it from your spirit, that God spoke this thing to you. And the enemy wants to bring interpretation of all the things that are happening around you. Don't do it. No. This is what the Word of God says. I will hear whatever is going on around me through the Word. Even when this this whole virus stuff hit. You should never pick up fear, fall into isolation, be afraid to go out and do stuff. My wife and I, we'd go out and do anything that was open. You know, the beginning part, there wasn't a whole lot that was open. Couldn't do anything but go out and buy groceries. And uh, wood. Go to Home Depot. Lowe's. Stuff like that. But there wasn't a whole lot that was, that was open. But we still went out. We still went out and did things. We didn't put masks on because they weren't afraid of anything. Now, if you put a mask on, I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about us. This is what we did. Some people that, oh, I put a mask on, but the whole time I did it, I did, did it just to, because I uh, help other people or whatever it might be. And that's fine. You do whatever you want. This is what we did. Because the Word of God says that sickness won't come near me. Psalms 91 says that a thousand may fall at my right side, but it's not going to come near me. So no matter what they said on the news, I refuse to come into fear. I refuse to say this is different. No. It's not. You see, if I need to be, be alarmed at something, it comes to my spirit. I don't get it from channel 3. Or whatever channel is out there that you might listen to. I don't get it from there. If my spirit doesn't clue me in, be careful on this. Watch out for this. Because God will do it to you. He will tell you. Be careful over here. He did that with uh, the king. When the prophet would say... Be careful of this over here. Elisha would hear what was going on here, the trap that was set up, and he'd tell him, be careful about this over here. And so he would go a different way, do something different to avoid that. He alerted Paul of certain problems. Be careful. This plot is against you. They're going to try and kill you. Well, he didn't just say, well, they can't touch me. I'm a man of God. He said, no, take this report to the commander. Listen to this boy. He's got some news for you. And they made precautions. They changed the time. They changed the number of people. They did a number of different things to to make that easy. God will tell you when you need to be alarmed about something. But you still don't get in fear. You just say, oh, what do I have to do about that? Do this, okay. And you do that, and you'll be fine. God doesn't give you warning to put you in fear. He puts you in warning, a warning, gives you a warning 
to move you to a place of safety if you listen to them. But then after they came back and that one gave the bad report, one gave the good report, after they came back, Caleb and Joshua, they tried to convince them, no, we can do this. And so the word of the Lord that came from Moses at that point was everyone under, tw- under 20 will live, but the rest of you are going to die. Now, Caleb was 40 years old, he tells us at that point. So he was in the group that should die. But because of the word that Moses spoke, he wasn't going to. Because it said, except for Joshua and Caleb. They're not going to. And so he believed that. He saw people dying all over. Out there in the wilderness. Another one falls, another one falls. Don't you know the word came to him? Not the word of the Lord, but the word of the enemy came to him and says, you know, you're going to die too. And he had to keep coming back, coming against that. I am not. I have the word of God that said, neither me nor Joshua are going to die. And then the next day, 10 more people that he knows in that age group died. Don't you think the enemy comes to him and says, you're next. Your death is coming. Look, all these other people, they're all dying. He had a battle that. Don't just think it was no battle. There was a battle that went on there. But he had had to refuse to hear what was going on around him in light of something different from what God said. He kept bringing the light of God's word on. What did God's word say on it? It said, you shall not die. Well, then I guess I'm not going to die. And he hung on to it. He stayed with it. It says in uh, Joshua 14, 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. The word Caleb brought back is what was in his heart, a word of faith, since faith was in there. Faith was in his heart, so the word that comes out of his mouth is a word of faith. Because that's who he is. That's what he puts in. If you keep putting into yourself fear, anguish, worry, all the other things, then that's what's going to come out of your mouth. Verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. Can you imagine getting before God and say, I have wholly followed you. I didn't just follow you. I wholly followed you. I went after this thing with everything that I had. And he stood before Joshua. Joshua knows the heart of Caleb. They were next to each other. They were encouraging each other on. Throughout these 40 years, don't you think they got together and say, boy, another 20 people died. And one of them probably said to the other, yeah, aren't you glad we're not going to? We're going to make it into that promised land. We're going to go in there because God said we're going to go in there. And they encouraged each other. Don't you think some other Israelites who said, don't you think you're going to get away? You're going to die too, just like the rest of us. But they didn't take it. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. The things that people say around you can cause your heart to melt, but it doesn't have to be that way. There was word brought by others that caused the heart of some people to melt, but it didn't have that effect on everyone. It does not have to have that effect on you. It didn't have that effect on Caleb. It didn't have that effect on Joshua. It didn't have that effect on Moses. As we said, maybe even Aaron. 
When the unbelief of others has a negative effect upon you, it speaks more about who you are than what they are. Don't let it come near you. Don't let it get in. No, I am staying away from that kind of thinking. Get around people that will help you. But the main thing is, you got to be set yourself. Don't sit there and say, well, i got to have other people. No, if you have other people, that's great. But you don't have to. Verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So here's the specific word that was given. Where you guys walked, it's going to be your land. God has given it to you. These folks, they won't get in there and see it, but you all are going to get in there. You're going to see it. And where you put your foot, it's going to be yours. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. That's what Moses said to him. Verse 10, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. So it was five years of the campaign in the, in the land, 40 years in the wilderness, and 40 years up until then. And yet, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both going out and coming in. Can you imagine somebody 85 years old who is saying, I am just as strong for war now as I was at 40. That's how he saw himself. Don't you know that the enemy is coming and saying, uh-uh. Every time that he might have felt something a little stiff if he woke up in the morning. What do you think the enemy's telling him? Uh, it is, uh-huh. You're getting old. You might make it into that promised land. But you're not going to be able to do nothing there. You're going to have to watch other people. Don't you know he's going after that? And he's saying, I will be just as strong when I walk into that land as I am now. And for these five years during the campaign, Caleb started at 80, he's now 85, and he's leading the pack out there fighting. He's going to show them young guys. Have you ever felt like you got to show those young people how to, how to do stuff? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Some of these young people, they're not the ones here. The ones here, glory to God, they got the Word of God in them, they're ready to go. I, I've seen some of them go to town. But you get out there and you look at some of these other, other young people, they don't know how to work. They don't know how to sweat. They don't know how, to, how this stuff goes on. They think that, that I, I'm here. I showed up. You ought to pay me. Because I showed up. Well, it's no good to show up for work. You gotta, you gotta work. You know, we were, we, my parents taught us a good work ethic. I expected myself every day on the job to produce more than they paid me. That's just my expectation. If they paid me so much money, I better have done more than that for them. Otherwise, I'm not helping the company out. If I, if I only, if they paid me $70 for a day, and I only produced $60 worth of product. That's no good. we got to be able to do better than that. Now, I've, 
I have, in most of the jobs I've had, I have outworked people younger, people my age, and people older. If I get in there, I'm going to outwork. It's going to be my goal. I am going to outwork everybody. Just try it. And I, we, when I was over at Ken's, we had um, a couple of people, and they challenged. They were a challenge to me. It was great. Oh, I loved it. Because they were going to try and work hard, too. And we would try and work harder, and push, we pushed each other to work harder. Our, you know, our boss loved it. We're out there producing, doing stuff. I get over to Kelsner's Horseradish, and for a little while I had to be making cocktail sauce in the, in the, in the, in the factory. You ever make cocktail sauce? They didn't like to make cocktail sauce. They, um, you know, you gotta lift the ketchup up, and you gotta take a knife and slice it, it's gonna get on your hand. And you gotta take three bags, huge bags of, of ketchup, haul them up on the ladder into the vat, slit the thing, dump it in there, then take the batch of horseradish and, and hot sauce that was made up, and you gotta pour that in, the fumes come back and they hit you in the face. And no one liked to do it. So what they would do is they would alternate. And one person would come up and they would make the cocktail sauce. And then the next time the other person would come up and make the cocktail sauce and they'd rotate it around. And when I came on in there, I noticed, uh, I, they didn't tell me how to make the cocktail sauce first. So I, I got on in there and I, I saw them. And I would see that they would finish up all the things at their station before they would go to make the cocktail sauce for the next batch. And so then everyone's sitting around waiting for that cocktail batch to be made. So they get an extra five, ten minute break every time the cocktail sauce ran out and then took a 15 minute break every two hours. This is driving me nuts. So I learned how to make the cocktail sauce. So as soon as the batch ran out of cocktail sauce, whatever I was doing, if I was putting them into the, the jars, into the boxes, if I was putting empty jars out, in the, whatever I was doing, it didn't matter. I stopped it. I quit as soon as that last thing slurped and there was no more cocktail sauce in there. And I didn't wait for turns. I made all the cocktail sauce. I grabbed the, the ketchup and I'd put it in there. And I grabbed the batch and I'd put it in there. And I'd have it all mixed up and ready to go before they finished boxing up all the stuff and getting all the things set up for the next one. And then, bam, we were ready to go. And, and so uh, they didn't get that extra five, ten minute break every batch. And then they would go off on their breaks take 15 minutes every two hours to go sit in the break room and eat something or do... No way. I'm not doing that. So I stayed out on the floor to keep the, the production line going. And my production manager, he had the same mindset. He said, well, if you're going to stay here, I'm going to stay here. So the two of us would run the entire production that it took six people to do just to keep it going. And so then we started counting. And he was counting batches. And he would tell me, he says, you know, we almost hit a, hit a record today of how much cocktail sauce we made. I said, then we're going to get it next time. And we did. The next time we got together, we, we crushed it. I'm thinking the whole time. I got that record. I know how many cases we got to get. We're going to get it. I pushed it. I pushed it. I, we're going to get this thing done. But I wanted to work through lunch. I wanted to get it going. Because I've just driven that way. And when we finally got it all done, he said, we made it. We, we broke it. Now, the next time we did it, guess what we had to do? We've got to break that record. Now, he came up to me later on and says, the people hate working with you. <laughs> they hate working with you. If they hear you're not on the road and you're in working with them, they groan. And they get mad. I said, I don't care. It's about time them people worked. That was my attitude of it. And so they didn't like it when I was in the plant. They loved me to get on out there and be on the sales 
sales area. But uh, you know, that kind of mentality is not there. How many of y'all know people? They don't have that mentality. They just don't think that way. They just don't, they don't try and push things. This is Caleb's mentality. We are going to push it. I am going to expect more out of my 85-year-old body than this person over here who's 25. He expected that of himself. And if he was not performing, he'd push himself. He'd get himself going. He said, I'm better off now or I'm just as strong as I was before. And so this is, look at what he does. He said, now verse 12. Now therefore, give me this, day, this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. He said, remember that mountain? The one that has all the giants on it? The one that has those incredibly fortified cities? And if you put a fortified city on a mountain, that is a tough city to take. He said, that's what I want. You let them young kids go after the flatlands. The easy stuff. I want the mountain. I've been thinking about this mountain since I was here. I walked on this mountain. I want that mountain. You know we were out here. We were spying it out. And we talked about this mountain. I told you I liked that mountain then. I want the mountain. And Joshua blessed him. Gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kesanite, Kenazite to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That's another time it's repeated. He wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. In the name of Hebron, formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. So this guy was such a great man among the giants that they named the place after him. Now Hebron, you may remember in history, where did David set up his, his first kingdom? Hebron. That's how strong, that's how fortified this city was. When Caleb took this, he made this into the most desirable place in Israel. So that David, of all the cities he could pick from, this is the one he picked to rule from, Hebron. This is where Caleb came from. Maybe he wants that mentality, I don't know. But this is where he picked. I want to rule from Hebron. I'm not ruling any other place. I'm going to rule from here. He's just going to rule over Judah. Because Caleb was from Judah. He was Judah's representation. I'm going to see, we'll test your Israel history. Who are the two strongest tribes in Israel? The two strongest tribes, the two most influential tribes. Now, y'all, you know one is Judah. Can you pick out who the next one is? It's, it's, it's all in Scripture. What is it? No, nope, but it's close. Ephraim. If you will notice in the Scriptures, the northern tribes are sometimes called Ephraim. Southern are always referred to as Judah. But the northern ones are referred to as Ephraim. Guess where the two spies came from? Caleb came from Judah. You know where Joshua came from? Tribe of Ephraim. Right there, the two biggest, most influential tribes are represented in Caleb and Joshua. You understand the reason those tribes were so strong is because they had people like that in them. 
who wholly followed the Lord God. See, people today, we're not wholly following the Lord God. God gives us a word. He gives us a statement. He tells us what he's going to do. And we just kind of, well, I'm going to try this out and see. Well, I'm going to test this out for a week and see if this isn't so. That's not how Caleb would do it. Caleb said, no, God said this. This is what I'm doing. Don't you realize, Caleb, if you take on Hebron, if you take on the cities of, uh, of the mountain, because there's more than just Hebron there, if you take on those cities, you could die. They could kill you in those battles. Apparently, he's not thinking about that, is he? What he's thinking about is, I've had my sights on this for a long time, and this is what I'm taking. He conquered it, took it, made it into still a powerful city, and David made his, made his reign from that place, from the place of Hebron. Verse, just jump on down in chapter 15, verse 13. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Uh, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Seshai, Ahman, and Tamai, and the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Shefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Shefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksha, my, my daughter, as wife. Now I don't know what her opinion of this was. Can you imagine that whoever is going to take this thing, they're going to be your husband. You may not like them. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and gave him, so it's kind of like a, a cousin thing in there somewhere, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Folks, if you don't ask, you don't get it. She said, first off, I want you to ask for some land. And so the husband went up and said, uh, all right, I want some land. Well, he's in good, sta- uh, good straits right now. He was the one, apparently, who led the attack or uh, conquered this city. And so he said, sure, go ahead and take some land. we got some stuff over here for you to, to have. Because remember, he's got a mountain. And so he takes the land and says, well, you, the daughter comes up and says, you know, we need some water. So he gave her some water. Now, Caleb, he makes no excuses. He doesn't say anything about the cities on the mountains. Well, they're going to be tough to take. I don't know if we can do that. He declares God's word and he goes to defeat them. I'm going to go take them out. That's that's the kind of mentality we have to have. This is why we're not seeing as much victories as we need to have inside the body of Christ. Because we're kind of tentative. Well, I have the word of God, but I don't know if the word of God is meant for me. Well, I know the word of God says that I'm free from this, but, you know... I don't know if I can walk in that. And we come up with excuses. We come up with reasons. Caleb here is not coming up with any reasons. He's not saying, man, look how high that mountain is. I'm 85 years old. Why do I want to be climbing a mountain and fighting battles on the way, climbing that mountain? Or hauling water up so we have stuff to drink while we're fighting the battle? Why do I want to do that? He doesn't come up with any excuses. He says, that's what I want. This is what God said. We're going. And that's how we have to get with the things of God. 
God said, I'm healed. God said, I'm free. God said, I'm blessed. And we just set out, this is where I'm going. And if you get some kind of a setback, I don't care. I'm still going this direction. This is what God's Word spoke to me. If I'm believing God for a healing on something, and I'm, I'm going, I'm going, and all of a sudden I feel a twinge. What do I do? Oh, I thought I was healed. Oh. No, don't do that. You take authority of that. Body, I am healed. You are not going to bring this stuff in. If it continues on the next day, I go after it the same way. Because I am determined, I am not trying this out. This is who I am. This is the abundance of my heart. Most people, many, well, many Christians will say this, they go after the battle for healing. They go after the battle for finances. But as soon as they hit a discouraging mark, they begin to say things like, I thought God, and they lay out whatever it was. I thought God was going to, and they lay out whatever it was, because that's the abundance of their heart. They covered it up with a bunch of other stuff, but that's the abundance of their heart. You can cover it up with other things and keep it under wraps for a week or two or maybe a month. But eventually it's going to come out. Caleb, the abundance of his heart is, that mountain is mine. He's walking around the wilderness. People are dying. I'm going to take that mountain. I'm going to have that city. I'm going to have all those cities. That mountain is going to be mine. Other people say, you can't take that mountain. Look how old you are. That mountain is mine. He spoke out of the abundance of his heart because he kept feeding on the Word of God. The Word of God said, and you've got to go over whatever the Word of God said because the enemy is always trying to get a veil on you. He's trying to get you to see that Word of God through a veil. Well, I know that Word of God, I know that is sure, but it just doesn't work for me. Whatever veil he can put on. Well, I know other people have been healed, but it just doesn't work for me. I know it's true. It's just not true for me. No. Get it so the abundance of your heart is along the lines of what Caleb was. And you go after the things that Caleb has. The way that Caleb does, you're going to get them. Now later on, we'll find out that Judah failed in chapter 15, verse 63. You're going to find out that Judah failed to take Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in Judah's territory. And they went to conquer it and they failed. The Jebusites still stayed in the city. It didn't, uh, it didn't work for them. And uh, they eventually gave up. Now Judah, they conquered all kinds of other stuff, but something happened over here and they weren't able to do it. It said in verse 63, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. That was the day of the writing. Now look at what it says about Ephraim. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along the border. And again, we got all the border stuff here. Let's jump on down to... Jump on down to verse 10. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. 
Here's the two greatest tribes in Israel. Judah couldn't conquer Jerusalem, though they conquered other places. Then Ephraim could not drive out the Canaanites from some other area. Now, other tribes had even greater failures than these ones. Maybe they should have wished that Caleb would have liked uh, Jerusalem. They don't conquer Jerusalem until King David comes along. That's how long that, that stronghold lasted for them. That's a long time. In chapter 17 of Joshua, verse 14, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? This is the children of Joseph. This is, and the children of Joseph are Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim. Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? I'm reading this for a reason. There's a lot of Christians that see themselves like Ephraim. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants since since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. But those who are of Beth Sheen and its towns and those who are the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim, to Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not only have one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and are strong. They need a little encouragement. See, a lot of times, Christians say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious. And they go around and they say all this kind of stuff, and then they face some giants and say, well, I don't know if we can do that. I don't know, that disease seems like it's taking a lot of people out. I don't know if I can conquer that. Well, that problem has nagged people in my family for a long time. They've always had this, this whatever it might be. I don't know if I can knock that out. They view themselves as a great people. But they won't go up against great things. So this is what happened in Joshua 18. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there and the land was subdued before them. But there... But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? So seven tribes didn't try to do anything at all. They were given land, but they didn't go after it. And so he says, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land? God has given you borders. God has given you land. God has said, here, this is where I want you to minister. This is what I want you to do. This is the people I want you to get. I want you to minister to the people at your workplace. I want you to minister at the, to the people in your neighborhood. I want you to minister to the people in your family. And we go back to him and say, yeah, but they're, they're a tough people. They're a stiff-necked people. I've tried to tell them about the things of God, and they don't want to hear it. We see them as giants. And God says, but I put you there. Yeah, but I don't know that I can do anything about them. You don't know who these neighbors are. God does know who your neighbors are. And he has given you the ability to go speak to them. You got to trust them. So this is what he does. He says, pick out from among you three 
men from each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, come back to me. They shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory in the south. The house of Joseph shall remain in their territory in the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. So, you can go through the rest of these chapters and see what happened here. But what happens, we've got all this land no one has claimed. No one has gone through and taken down all the rest of the giants or all the things that are still still there. So he says, all right, going back through, I want you to survey all the land that's not Judah and not Ephraim. Not Manasseh. I want you to take all that land that the other tribes have not already conquered. And I want you to uh, survey it. We're going to take that and divide it into seven parts. And each of you are going to get a part. And I want you to go and then conquer one of these parts. Now, here's the thing. One of the parts of land that got, that got uh, redistributed was Jerusalem. Because the Judah had not conquered it. And so when they, read, they did this redistribution, Judah came to Benjamin. And you'll find in the scriptures that it says Benjamin could not drive out the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So first off, you have Judah who tries to drive them out, and they failed. And then you have Benjamin, after the redistricting went on, they come down there, and they go after it, and they failed. So the people in, in Jerusalem have survived Judah, and they survived Benjamin. And they continue to survive all the time in the judges. And they continue to survive even the reign of Saul. But then David comes along. And after seven years reigning over in Hebron, he says, you know what? I'm tired of those guys being over there. This is our land. This is the place that God gave us. And that city should be ours. And so he went over there and he took it. And it's called the city of David. Because he decided they are not going to remain any longer. For seven years, they were within his territory. But then something clicked. And he said, we're going to go get them. We're going to go take them out. Now, I'll put this in, the, in your outline for you. When it comes to the Word of God, there's four things. And you can probably keep going on this list, but I gave you four spots right here. First off, when it comes to the Word of God, there is the broad vision. This is the thing you have to get. You have to get the broad vision. For Israel here, the broad vision was this. I have given you the land. I will drive out its inhabitants before you. Their walled cities you will take. And he prophesied all these things about, about this. That's the broad vision. That's the broad thing. God has given you a broad vision. I will take sickness from the midst of you. That's a broad vision, isn't it? You can go through the Word of God and see there's a broad vision that's there. And that's good. That's a broad vision. you got to get that down. Then, here's the second word. There is a specific first step. After this, the broad vision, there is a specific first step. For Israel, this came at Kadesh Barnea. When they came there, and they failed that. So then they went in the wilderness for 40 years. Then they came back and the first step became Jericho. That was the first step. We didn't come in and take the whole land. We came in and took Jericho. And then after they took Jericho, what was the next step? 
Ai. And then after Ai, we went on, the five kings came down to, to attack them after they made the covenant with one of the uh, tribes in the land. But there's a specific first step. There's something you need to do. There is a step towards that broad vision. And God is going to be speaking to you. He's going to give it to you. All you've got is the first step. You've got to go out there and you take it. Once I get that first step from God, I've got to put it to action. There's our putting it to action. There's the broad vision. There's that specific first step. And then there's our putting it into action. I've got to take that first step that he gave me and put it into action. After I put the first step into action, there's the receiving of the next step. And this is where the list goes on. And then I've got to put that into action. And then after I put that into action, I get the third step. Then after I get the third step, I put that into action. Guess what comes next? If there's another step, you'll get that one. But you don't get the second, third, and fourth step until you do the first step. Because if you are not willing to do what God has said first, why would he give you what to do next? You've got the broad vision. Now here's the first step. Well, give me step two, three, and four. No. Now, Caleb went from asking for and receiving the mountain to taking Hebron. That was the first step. Then he went on and took the beer. If you get hung up on any one of these steps, folks, you won't move on until you get past it. Your first step, you got a, a, a dietary thing you're trying to do. Eat healthier, eat less, eat more, eat something different, whatever it might be. you got to take that first step. That first step for some people might be no more Oreo cookies. Cut them out. No more ice cream at nighttime. I don't know. He's going to give you, he's going to give you a first step. You got to go and you got to do that first step. Once you do that first step, you got it in there. You got it. You're walking. You're walking it. You're doing it. Then comes the second step. Now, I wrote down in my outline, you can write down as much of this as you want to. There are some common hang-ups. These are some things that keep us from doing the first step or the second step or the third step. First thing, that won't change anything. Well, I might eat a salad every lunch instead of what I'm normally doing, but how much is that really going to affect me? We might say that. That won't change anything. I told you what I was doing to, to get some of the, the first... And understand, I've told you, some, I told you over and over again some of the steps that I took to, to get back into just being pain-free, not just to get back into running, just to, to be, be pain-free. I've told you some of the steps. I don't tell you all the steps. There are some things that are just technical detail. It's kind of like inside baseball stuff. If you don't like baseball, you don't want the inside stuff. But there were some other side things that were gave me to do. One of them was I had to change some of the way that I was running. I actually had to make a change into some of the some, some of the style. It doesn't look as pretty, but I understood it was it was more effective for what I was trying to to do. And then there's some other little things along like that. God may share your, share with you some of those little things to do. It doesn't seem like it would do a whole lot, but in the big picture of things, this is what God's looking at. He's looking at the big picture of things. First thing I need you to do, I need you to do this. First thing He might need you to do, I need you to change your conversation. 
I don't mean I need you to change it most of the time during the day. I mean I need you to completely wipe it out. No more of that kind of talk. Get it out. And it may take you a while to get that done. But you won't get the second step until you finish the first step. There's no reason for it. If I will not wholly follow after what God has said. Wholly follow after God what God has said. I mean wholly follow. I told I'll go back and review this just for a minute. Remember the first step I had in getting myself right? No more than two miles I was supposed to run. No more than two. I would stop if I was up the road from my house. I would stop at 1.99 and walk the rest of the way. I would not go over that 2.0 mark. I would, not, I would stop and I would walk. I would be watching it the whole way. He said, no more, because that's the word that came to me, no more than two miles. I stopped at that spot. When he gave me the second one, I did not ever go over that second spot. The second spot, there was another break. No more than, and I stopped at that. I did not go, I wholly followed every single time I was out there. I didn't say to myself, I'm feeling really good. No, I am, to st- I am not to do more than this. And I stayed with it. Every time I was out there, I stayed with it. When I got that third word that came to, came to me on that, and you, I'm going to repeat it to you a number of times, five to six days a week, no more than five to six miles per run, and do some biking. And so every week I had that, no more than five. If I did four, I was fine. No more than five, I'm sorry, four or five runs in the week. Get some biking in there. And I did that every single day, every single week I was out, out there doing it. Holy foul, every single week. I stayed within that. And that was over a year. Holy follow. That means you are completely consumed with every day following what God has said. If he said, quit complaining, you quit complaining. If he said, stop talking negative, and you don't have to have a special word from God, he told you that in his word. Stop talking negative. Quit it. Don't do it. You got to do it. You got to hold, you got to do it. Caleb did. If you want what Caleb has, you got to do what Caleb did. And three times we saw it said, "Holy followed what God said. So get over the hang-up. That won't change anything. I don't care if God told you to play tiddlywinks every night before you go to bed. You do it. Some of you may not know what that game is. You can look it up. One of those games we played when we were kids. They may not even make it anymore. I don't know. Get over the hang-up. It won't change anything. Here's the second one. I can't do that. Has God ever told, told you something? And your first thought is, I can't do that. I mean, God would never tell you something you couldn't do, right? He would never come up to a lame guy at a pool and say, get up. He wouldn't say that, would he? Get up. Take up your bed and walk. He wouldn't say that to a lame guy. The lame guy can't walk. Can't carry his bed. He wouldn't say that to somebody like that, would he? (laughs) He sure did. Yeah. He will tell you things to do that you believe right now are impossible. But if he told you to do them, you got to focus wholeheartedly onto that thing. If God says... Thou shalt eat less calories. And he gives you a calorie count. And guess what you ought to do? 
First off, don't say, I can't eat that little. And that's what some of you say. I can't eat that little. Oh, man. I, what do you mean 1,500 calories in a day? And you're used to 4,000. <laughs> 1,500 calories. Who's he kidding? If God spoke it to you, you can do it. Get that I can't out of your head. Did Caleb say, well, I don't know if I can take that mountain. Did Caleb say, I don't know if we can conquer those cities. I don't know if I can take on all those giants. That's a lot of giants in there. He didn't say it. Got to get over this. I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm too weak. I hurt too much. Whatever it might be. I have to get over it. Now, don't try and sell yourself. Well, I'm going to tell myself I'm going to do this. No, God has to say it. If God says it to you, He empowers you to get it done. Don't be out there trying to copy somebody else. Well, Pastor Steve said he was going to run two miles. So I'm all going, I'm going to run two miles. You might kill yourself. Don't, don't use me as an example. I'm a different person from you. You're a different person from me. But don't be, be into this, I can't do that. If God spoke it to you, Understand, it is going to be a challenge. If you want the victory, if you want great, great victory, you've got to do some, some great things. And you're able to. Here's another one, I'm afraid. Fear can set in. I'm afraid. Here's another one. What if I don't do it right? I know God told me to do this, but what if I don't do it right? If I don't do it right, then I won't get the results. Stop worrying about it. If God told you to do it, He will help you to get it done right. If He thought you might not be able to get this done right, He wouldn't have told you to do it. Have confidence. Have some trust in your God. He will help you out with this thing. Yeah, but I don't know what to do. I don't trust that what I heard is actually from God. See, that's where fasting and prayer comes in. It's developing you to know the voice of God. Because you spend time fasting and praying... You learned the voice of God and when that voice came to you, you know, I know God spoke that to me. Don't be like those people, those Christians that are out there. Well, I know God spoke this to me. And at least they come out there and they, they say, I know God spoke this. I know this is what God said. God told me to do this. And two weeks later, are you still doing that? No, I don't think it was God after all. <laughs> James says to those people, they're driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man think they will receive anything from God. I cannot be vacillated. If God said, do this to your diet, do this to your, to your body, exercise, don't exercise, whatever it might be. If God told you, you need an elliptical. Keep the pressure off your, your joints. And you say, well, I don't have one, so I guess I can't do it. No, if God said you need to get one of those things, then he has an opportunity for you to get one. If God said it. All right. Well, God, you know I don't have any money. <laughs> I don't have any money for, for that stuff. But I, I, if you said it, I, I'm looking for it. I know it's out there. And so you begin to set out to look for one. You put an ad on Facebook. I'm looking for an elliptical. Anybody have one they want to get rid of? And you find two people who want to get rid of one. All right. I don't have a truck. <laughs> so you, you're right to them. Um, that's, that's great. I don't have a vehicle to get there. 
You, you start pursuing it. You start opening the door. And you start checking out some things. What can we do to get this done? You don't just sit back there and say, I can't do it. I can't do it. You get out there. You see, what you saw inside these, these chapters, if we would have read all the verses, they gave the borders of all these tribes. They gave the borders of Judah. They gave the Jordan, Jordan, um, borders of Ephraim. They gave the borders of Manasseh. They gave the borders of Benjamin. They listed all their borders. Here's where you're supposed to go. You're supposed to operate. This is your area. You're supposed to operate here. You have borders. God has said, this is where I need you to operate. I need you to operate here where you work. Here where you are, uh, where you live. I need you to operate here amongst your family. Here amongst your friends. I need you to operate. I need you to do this. And he's got things for you. This is your border. This is your territory. And the devil says, they don't want to hear from you. You don't got any inroads here. You, they don't want this. And you just shut it down. You don't even step out there and try. Just like having Jerusalem over there and the Jebusites got it. You're supposed to have it. But the Jebusites got it. Don't be doing it. If it's in your borders, how do you know if it's in your borders? If God puts you in a place where you're working, you're his man. You're his woman. God, you put me here. So I'm your, I'm your person. I'm the only one born again here. I'm your voice. So every night you go to bed, Father God, give me things to speak to the people that are, that are around there. You pursue them on it. You don't just wait for something to happen. God, I need something to speak to the people in my neighborhood. I thank you that you give me something to speak to the people that are here. And you pursue them on it. This, this is my borders. This is what God gave me to do. So you go after it. God will give you the first step. You do it. You apply yourself wholeheartedly to it. You give everything you got to it. And then you get the second one. And you don't ever try this thing out. Well, I'm going to try this for a whole year. Well, pat yourself on the back. How long did Caleb carry that vision of that mountain? Forty years plus five. Forty-five years he carried that around. Forty-five years he kept feeding the vision. I'm going to take that mountain. That mountain is going to be mine. And when the time came to divide up the land, he comes to Joshua and says, you remember the word that God gave, God gave us through Moses? Gave it to you and me. Here we are. I want that mountain. What's Joshua say? Go get it. I want you to notice this. They had to deal with the area of Jerusalem not being taken. The land of, of uh, Ephraim, they had to deal with the land, the inhabitants still being in some of that land. There are some tribes that were so outnumbered by the inhabitants of the land that they were considered the foreigners, the intruders. That's how little they went after the land. But you never had that problem with this mountain. Because when Caleb got done with it, there were no more giants. There were no more Canaanites. They did not control any part of the city. He took it all. We want to be Caleb's. We want, we want to be people that God can say, here, I'm going to give you this. I need you to take it. And he said, I'm well able. I may be 85 years old, but I'll outperform these young kids over here. I'll show them how to take on a city. I'll show them how to scale a city. I'll show them how to defeat a giant. You watch me, guys. And he would pass this kind of stuff on. 
That's the kind of attitude we have to have. Will you be a Caleb? Will you be a Joshua? Are you going to be like those people who just bow down and say, well, I guess we can't take that territory. The giants want it too much. Would you all stand up with me? How long you will stay with what God told you is directly proportional to how much you trust Him. If you will trust God only enough to have that word he gave you last a week, there's your level. If you'll let it last two weeks, well, there's your level. You might be higher than the guy who lasted a week, but you're not high enough to get it done. You got to be to the point that no matter what comes in, I hear it through what God spoke to me. You shall be more than a conqueror. You shall be the head, not the tail. I have delivered you from sickness and disease. The plague may come to your right. People may die on your left. It don't matter. It's not coming near you. And no matter how much the world throws at you to try and get you to sway off, you say, just as Caleb, he wholly followed. Lord. That's where we need to be. Bow your heads with me and pray. Father, I thank you that examples like Caleb are in your word. He's not the only one. But he wholly followed after you. Father, we want to follow that example and wholly follow after you. The world is here trying to get us distracted with other causes, with other other things to be passionate about. But Father, we want to be holy followers of you. When we have a mountain in our life that we are to take, we don't look at that and see all the obstacles that are on it. We look at that and say all the beautiful things that we can do when we have that mountain. Like Caleb, it can carry us through a wilderness, walking around, knowing I'm going to be here for 40 years because of these disobedient people. <laughs> but I keep focused on the, on the word that you gave me. And I see that mountain. And I see it as my mountain. The people will know this is the mountain of Caleb. This would become the place where a king would rule. With every head bowed here this morning, would you make this stand with me? Make this statement? And if so, raise your hand. I will become a king. If you can make that statement, raise up your hand and say, I will become a Caleb. I will not let what the world says, what the world tries to influence me with, or whatever the enemy throws my way to steer me from the Word of God, out of the love of God, out of the trust of God, 
into the fear of the world, into the unrest of the world, into the hate of the world. But I will stay in God's peace. And I will take whatever mountains come up in my life. In Jesus' name, over to God. There's no reason you cannot be a Caleb. There's no reason you cannot conquer any mountain that is in your life. And there's no reason that the abundance of your heart cannot be exactly what it was for Caleb. He was no different, no better than you. He just simply believed what God said. This week when you go home, what is the broad picture that God has painted for your life through His Word? What is the broad picture? And if you don't have a first step or your next step that you're going to take, I want you to be listening this week hear what the next step is. Next step may be something different that you do. We talk about diet and exercise, but there's other things that can go on in your life. God may say, I want you to get up earlier. I want you to get up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m., and I want you to do this for an hour. And you say, I could not do that when I wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. But you see, if God told you to, you can you can do it. And it will change your life. And after you get the first step, and after you go after that first step, get that into your life. I'll tell you the second step. And you'll do that. See, I want you to have the same kind of testimony I have. That a year and a half, actually it's probably more like two years ago, God showed me what I had to do And after two years, I am now running exactly as far as I was running before. The only thing I haven't brought back in is the long run. I haven't brought the long run back in yet. haven't had the release for that one yet. I may eventually get that. doesn't matter to me. But you see, if I did nothing, I would still have nothing now. I want you to be able to have the testimony. And God showed me this, and then he showed me this, and then he showed me this, and he took me right back into this place. Into a place that I was, or a place that I've never been. But God will bless you. God will help you. Just keep in mind, whatever God tells you to do, you are empowered to do it. Have a great week. Bless some people before you go.